Okay, I'm just going to share a little bit from 1 Corinthians 16, and I do want to uh, read up to a couple of verses, but one of the main verses that we want to touch on, just one of them, is 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 9. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, said here, for, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, in the eighth verse of 1 Corinthians 16, he says, he said that he was going to stay, tarry at Ephesus until the Feast of Pentecost. He was going to stay there because of that great door. It was, there were two things. There was a great door, and there were many adversaries. So he was going to stay, continue to stay in Ephesus. So then when we read uh, in Acts 19, uh, verse 10, that he actually spoke there for two years. And he did so in Acts 20, uh, verse 31, uh, with tears in the space of two years. And then in the 32nd verse of Acts 20, one of the final things that he said to them is that I commend you to God. Okay? And he was turning them in their own relationship to God as their authority. He didn't commend them to himself, and he was an apostle and the greatest of the apostles in terms of what Christ had given him, or a pastor or a group of elders or anyone. He commended them to God, and then it says, and to the word, the word of his grace. Of course, obviously, that's Jesus Christ. And then it says, which is able to build you up. That's how we get built up. And to give you an inheritance, though that, that was left us, of, what, of who Christ is and what he accomplished on our behalf. So that was left, left to us. And, uh, and to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified, all those that have been set apart into Christ. And so that's what he said. Uh, and that's why he said that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, that he was going to stay there because there was an open door. Again, a great open door and many adversaries. And... Then we see, even when Peter was preaching, and here we can see some amazing uh, importance here. In, verse, in Acts 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words did he, Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves, deliver yourselves from this untoward generation. <laughs> well, if his generation was untoward back then, what would this generation be that we're in right now? If Paul said in his time, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, that the time was short in his time, and his generation was untoward. <laughs> That's why you never see in the gospel, ever, you never see in the word of God, we're going to preach and we're going to be a church that changes the world. The world... God is not interested in changing the world. He's interested in saving a people, a body of Christ, those that are Christ, out of this untoward generation, which is this world system that we live in. That's why Jesus said in John 
17, verse 14, and John 17, verse 16, that they, uh, all those that were his, were not of the world, and neither was he. He wasn't of the world, and neither are those that were him. And furthermore, furthermore, in 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And these are the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things are on their way to perish. And in the 17th verse of 1 John 2, the world system is on a collision course with eternity. It is just about to be over. <laughs> That's why we're not changing. We're going to change the world. Never. Just like in the Bible, God never speaks of changing people. <laughs> oh, God, change me. No. He doesn't change anything about the old life. He crucified it. Now it's all about the brand new. The brand new. And this is what Peter and this is what Paul, not Mary, <laughs> was teaching. That's what they were teaching. And that's what they were preaching and what was given them. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, I am crucified. He said it in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. In terms of this world or anything about it. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But this life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, he's our life. Nothing, we don't derive our life from this world. <laughs> Anything about it. Christ is our life. And that's the reality. And that's why he said in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the world, that so many want to change, has been crucified unto me. <laughs> and I am crucified unto the world. That's what he says. And there it is clearly. So, he said in Acts 2, verse 40, save yourselves and have you, keep on having, you know, being delivered from this untoward generation. Verse 41 says, then they that gladly received his word. And that's an awesome thing. When you preach and teach the word, when it is gladly received. And by the way, that's not why any pastor or preacher or teacher should preach the word. Because in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, preach the word in season and out of season. Rebuke, exhort with all authority. And the reality is what that verse is saying, whether it's received or not, whether it's convenient for you or not, whether you like it or not, whether you get a response or not, it's a present imperative, which means right now I command you with a military snap to preach it. And uh, because first and foremost, uh, a pastor, he preaches the word first and foremost because of his love for Christ. And then when that love is for Christ, then obviously he's going to preach and, and teach what Christ wants for all of us. And so, they, so it says that they gladly received his word, scores of them, and were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
Great soul winning day. Yeah, soul winning through what? Preaching the word. Can you imagine? Preaching the word. Getting up there and, and, and preaching the word. Preaching, it says the word. His word, the word. Who is that? Christ. He, pre he, he taught Christ. He preached Christ. And 3,000 responded to that. And then in verse 42 it says, And they continued steadfastly. Oh boy. They continued. Through everything that they were going through. No matter what it was. They prized the word of God. And they, what? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And of course their teaching, which was all about Christ. And then it says this. And fellowship. That's a key thing. It's a word we want to touch on tonight. And fellowship. And in breaking of bread, which they did the first day of the week. Remember, Sunday is the first day of the week. Not Monday. To a lot of folks, it is Monday. But the first day of the week for us is Sunday. Just so happens that was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then, in doing so, sent down the Holy Spirit... That was in Acts, the second chapter, which became Pentecost, where the church began. That's why we meet on a Sunday. It's the first day of the week. It's the way to start your week off. First day of the week. Saturday, the Sabbath, for the Jews, was the last day of the week, which was a Saturday. And some mistakenly meet on that particular day and not on a Sunday and I don't know why they do but they do but they can continued steadfastly notice that steadfastly in the apostles teaching and teaching and being taught and had fellowship fellowship then and then of course in breaking of bread and in prayers you know we have uh, and even back then they broke bread every Sunday. It was teaching again. This is the body. This is the blood. New covenant. They did it every Sunday. Every single Sunday they did. And, and, and there was, you know, it was very instructive. And then it says in prayers. And then verse 43 says, And fear, reverence, reverence came upon every soul. Reverence. Boy, I'll tell you. Do you think we need more of that, huh? To, to reverence, reverencing uh, God's presence. And fear, reverence, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, that teaching, that received it, and continued being taught steadfastly, and, and then contributing in their part in fellowship. They all had, to, they had all things common. They had them all in common. They all thought the same way. They really did. And so, as a result of that, they had fellowship based on that right kind of teaching. And that's what Paul was doing. He was there, again, in Ephesus. He was tarrying there, staying there, because there was a great door. It was a great door for preaching and teaching with just a couple. No, many, many adversaries. See? So there's a great door for all of us that God has opened. He has. There's a great door for us to, to receive continually and steadfastly in fellowship. 
but there are going to be many adversaries. But is that the reason to stop? Was it Paul's reason to stop? Should it be my reason to stop? No, it's the reason to continue and to continue in fellowship. And I love that word fellowship because, again, I want to tell you that word fellowship in the Greek is kinonia. It's K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kinonia. And let me tell you, this is what exactly what that word means in the Greek. It's the setting aside of private interests and desires <laughs> and the joining in with another or others for common purposes. How about that? That's what it's going to take to continue steadfastly. It really is. And, though, and an adversary and an adversary to keep us from coming together and receiving the word. And an adversary can be what? Private interests and private desires. That can be an adversary. Because there's always an open door. In other words, there's always an opportunity for us to be able to receive from the word of God. And you notice it says they continued in it. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15... 57, it says this, but thanks be to God. You know, every time we come to hear the word of God, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing. Doesn't come any other way, by the way. Faith, absolute dependence upon God, comes by hearing, by submitting under and receiving. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And who's the word? It's Jesus Christ. Who are we submitting under? It's Jesus Christ. Who are we depending on? Jesus Christ. Faith. That that we need, that we can't do without, to depend upon him, comes from hearing, assembling and hearing. Because we are a joint that supplies. We're, we are a joint. Every Everyone becomes a joint in Ephesians 4, verse 16, that has a supply of, that we contribute to the whole body. So thanks be unto God. There's plenty that we can be thankful for. Which what? Which gives us the victory. And that's a key thing. We can always be thankful. And when our attitude is being thankful, we can always, and, and Jesus Christ will always continue to share the experience of the victory that he's won for us when we have a thankful attitude. And it's an amazing thing to have. That's why in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, therefore, on account of all these things, of course, that are in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, my beloved. Well, why should we be thankful? Well, because we're so loved by God. We are so loved. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstance or situation that we're in, we are so loved by God, by Christ. We are so loved. And because of that, when we receive that love as brethren, as those that are his, we can be steadfast. Remember, they continued steadfastly 
in Acts 2, 42 and 43, and the teaching of the apostles, which was about Christ. And as a result of that, it says a reverence came upon every soul. And what a protecting, awesome thing reverence is. Well, some like to take that as a title and be called reverend, but the reality is the only place that that word is ever used is in Psalm 111, verse 9, and it says, Holy and reverend is his name. No one else's. <laughs> Let's just make that crystal clear. Men may take titles to themselves that that are not given to them by God. Holy and reverend is his name. In other words, he's the one that we should reverence with an incredible awe. Every time we come, we gather together to hear the word, of course, obviously, personally in our lives, and then privately, then when we gather together. And we all are growing in that, and we all are making our adjustments in that. But we can always be, because we are so loved, we can be steadfast in his love. Because can anything move his love? Can anything move who God is in his love? Can anything in who God is in his love for us move it? <laughs> and can you move the one who is experiencing and in the midst of that kind of love? No, they're going to be unmovable. That's what it says, unmovable. This all comes from the preaching and teaching and counsel that comes from the word of God. Unmovable. Boy, do we ever need to be unmovable in this movable, wicked, evil generation that we're in. And if it was untoward in Paul's time, what is it now? What is it now? And then what does that unmovability bring us to? Always abounding. We're always going to abound. And notice what it says. No man builds a ministry. No man builds a work. This is what it says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen, God's love in and through us, his word teaching us, does a great work in and through us to others. Again, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul said that we have, we, all of those that have received Christ, have this treasure in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, and we are not sufficient in ourselves. Who's sufficient for these things in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16? Our sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, is of God. It's of God. So we're always going to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Where does the work of the Lord begin? It begins in us, doesn't it? Yeah, he's always doing a work in us in this process of growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. And this is the growth part or the progressive 
we're progressing in the sanctification of what is ours. Positionally, the moment we receive Christ and we're cleared of all guilt and condemnation, that's justification, we was placed in Jesus Christ. That's our position. That's sanctification. We were positioned in him. That's how God sees us, positioned in him. And now there's a work that's being worked in us. And when it's his work and he's doing a work in us, Right? We're abounding. Some will say, oh, wow, what a message. Uh, you know, some will say, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, because God was doing a work in you. And me, he was doing a work in you. And he was making you and I, through the word being preached, to become, in our condition, in our state, what he already made us to be in our position. That's the work of the Lord. That's the work of the Lord. Sometimes we think that, oh, we're going to do something for God. Listen, he has, he has to do a work in us, and guess who's doing the work through us, too? <laughs> it's going to be him. It's very simple. You know, these... These truths, these teachings, these, these doctrines, they're really not that hard to understand at all. They're really not. Justification means literally the moment you receive Christ, you are cleared of all guilt because of him. Completely. Of all guilt and all condemnation. Done. And instantly at that moment that you were justified, you were positioned or sanctified or placed in him positionally. And that's all true, and it's all ours. That's the treasure that we have. But he is making us to become, in time, what he already made us to be in eternity in Christ. So what does he have to do to accomplish that? He has to break the vessel so that the treasure flows in and through and out. So as he's doing a work in us, he's also, in more ways than well, he'll have to show us when we get there. How he was doing more than just a work in us. He was doing a great work through us to others in a very big way. Always abounding in the work of the Lord because it has to be him that's doing it in us, right? We just have the incredible privilege of being able to participate Based upon the work that he's done in us, now we can partner with him as he does it through us. We, we become that vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And then we always abound, not sometimes, but we always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And sometimes... It is a labor because sometimes things come in that will challenge us, like maybe private interests. Maybe they're not wrong in themselves, but if they keep us from receiving or personal desires, it might keep us from abounding at that time in the work of the Lord. And so in that sense, there's a labor. There's like, oh... You know, like sometimes you don't want to get up off the couch, and I've never felt like that. Not even tonight. <laughs> get up. It's worth the labor. Get up. 
you know, get up and, and go. It's worth it. Because God wants to abound. That's why Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief mm, comes to steal away all our opportunities to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have what? Life and life what? More abundantly, abounding, abundant life. And so that our labor, it says, is not in vain in the Lord. If it costs us something in terms of maybe it's labor to do it, is it worth it? I mean, what is the only thing we're going to take off this, out of here with us? What's the only thing? It's going to be the work that Jesus Christ has done in us and the work that, that he wants to do through us in petition participation with him through us so it's a great thing and that's why Paul said that there was a great door it was a very very great door great there in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 and he was tarrying there right and boy did he have some resistance and some adversaries boy Whew. everything was in it was trying to oppose him that's what the atmosphere tries with us everything that it can to oppose us from getting what we need or having what we need from appropriating it <laughs> by depending on him by pure faith and trust. He's going to do everything, and that's an adversary because there's a great door. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm staying because it's a great door. Great there in the Greek is megali, and it means it's a great wide open width and there's a huge region for God to fill a huge place for him to fill up and he said that that door was opened unto him unto him now when you study the Greek without getting too into it it really was to his advantage so that's what he was saying listen there's a great door there's a great door and there's many adversaries, but it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage by you staying there, Paul, because I'll have the word flow through you, and it will be dative of advantage. It will be to your advantage and to them that hear you. And that's the same thing with us. It's an advantage for us to stay. In other words, depending. Staying in a situation could even mean just depending on him, trusting him, and staying in there. And that's what Paul, Paul said. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 12 and 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. He said, I fought a good fight. Well, don't fight the fight without the armor in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. In other words, he put on Christ. And that's how he fought. <laughs> Some spend their time battling the flesh. Right? Battling the flesh. We're never to battle the flesh. We're to turn away from it. We're to turn completely away from it. Because the battle is the Lord's, correct? Correct the mundo? <laughs> yes, it is. So that door was opened. And it was a figurative expression. And it was effectual. Or in other words, there was some incredible, active, effective energy that was going to come through that door. 
And what it speaks of is the influence that he would gain by entering it. Yeah, but there's many adversaries. Yes, but there's some active, incredible energy and incredible vantage, not only for you and others, by you staying. <laughs> stay, stay. <laughs> Don't run, stay. And it's opened. He said it was opened. And that indicates a present and a continuous opportunity. And for now, with us little ones right here, God has given us a great open door. Right now, it's, it's present and it's a continuous opportunity for God to pour his word to us for now. And we can still do that in this country. And boy, we should take advantage of it. Because then that door might close and hopefully we'll have enough in us that'll get us through what's going to come down the pipe. Whew. Thank God that we don't look at the things that are seen. No, we don't. In other words, we don't give those things that are seen. Oh my God, it looks like it could be overwhelming. No, we look not at the things that are seen. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal in the sense that they are coming to an end. That whole world system, you know, that we're not going to change. We're not interesting in, in changing. And that world will never change, but it will end. It's going to end. It's on a crash course with eternity. That little worldly thing that operates in time. So time is on a collision course with eternity. And then in Revelations 10, verse 6, time will be no more. Yay! And it'll just be in his presence. Uninterrupted love, fellowship, the word, oh, the things of God. Oh, boy. Gotta have it. I gotta have it here. I gotta have it. So we'll close it with this. There was a door. It was a great opportunity. That door with all those adversaries, there was all kinds of resistance. Those were adversaries, but it was a great door. Great in terms of its extent. It was wide open. And he said it was effectual, and that effect had to do with all the results that God, through Christ, was going to accomplish by that word that would be preached it'd be great and we have great effectiveness in our life uh, by receiving it and so he said it's to me and it's open and it's effectual and it, it causes us to be in these times that we're in tolerably strong <laughs> we need to build up our spiritual muscles for what's going to be coming down the pipe we need to be built up it's a great door. It was a great op opening for preaching and teaching. And he said there were many adversaries. He said there, there are many that are lying opposed to me. I mean, he faced all kinds of opposition. <laughs> all because he was to preach and teach Christ in a world that certainly wasn't happy about it. 
You know that world that's so good and so nice? You know that world system that began when Cain in Genesis 4, verse 16, he was rejected because he brought an offering from himself? Oh, and of course the world system's not about self too much, is it? Right. So he, he, he was rejected by God because he was offering something to God in the performance of self and not something about the promised seed, Christ. So then it says in Genesis 4, verse 16, he went out from the presence of God. What happens? What happens? And we can at times too. What happens though? when we go out from the presence of God. We're going to build a city. We're going to build something to occupy us because we're out of his presence. Something we have to find then to satisfy us. That's where the world system began. Imagine, the world system began with a man who tried to sacrifice self, something of self for God. And then his brother who knew it wasn't in himself, but had to bring a sacrifice that was pointing to Christ. And then when he was in a field, in a jealous rage, he killed his brother. <laughs> and then he went out from the presence of God and built a city. You have all your arts, all your culture, everything. You read about it. And if you study the scriptures and understand them, Okay. Are there things that we can enjoy in this world? Yes, but only when we're in his presence can we enjoy him the right way. Yeah. And it's the only thing, he's the only one, that will satisfy us enough so that we can enjoy those other things. But just think of it. We are in, in this world system, okay, and the world system governed by Satan, okay, and there's a, and there was, there's a lot of good in the world system. Just don't you talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don't you do that. Nuh -uh -uh. You can even mention God once in a while. But don't mention Jesus Christ and sacrifice. And, that, and mention that there's nothing good in me. What do you mean? There's nothing good in me. Well, that's what God says in that whole world system. You're never going to find any happiness in it. Never. Never. You're never going to find, none of us can, will find what we need from that world system. But what we can do is find it in Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all my need, singular, according to his riches and glory in and by Christ Jesus. And then when I have that, then I can do all things in Philippians 4 verse 13 through Christ which strengthens me uh, I get strong through Christ, through him preaching I get built up and now my life is more than just about me, guess what I start in a Philippians 2 3 to esteem others better than myself what a surprise and in Philippians 2 verse 4, look not on your own things <laughs> but on the things of others. And then let that, in 2, 4, Philippians, and then let that mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who he was God himself, but didn't think it was something to be eagerly grasped and held on to, right? But he put on humanity as God <laughs> and made himself of no reputation. That's where we can get in trouble. We make more of ourselves than we do of Christ. <laughs> and does that stop him from loving us? Nope. Does it cause him to condemn us? Nope. <laughs> We're already in him. All he wants to do is teach us. Preach and teach. Through the Holy Spirit, taking the word. Through a, a, gifted, a gifted man who is attached to Christ. So that it flows from him. And that's true authority, by the way. We all have that. You all have authority. You know. Imagine that. We all have authority. Seriously. Jesus Christ has given us authority over sin. We don't have to. Now we do, but we don't have to. And you, even when we do, in 1 John 2, 2, we have an advocate. With God, he's Jesus Christ the righteous, and he's a propitiation for our sins. Isn't that amazing? We get it all. We really do. But we, what we need to do through teaching, through the word, is to set our mind, in Colossians 3, verse 2, on things above not on things of the earth. Because why did, what did Paul say? Because he said in Colossians 3, verse 3, you died. You're dead to this world, and this world's dead to you. And your life is hidden. We stay hidden ones in this world system. Then we become, when we're hidden in Christ through teaching and preaching, when we're hidden in him, we become even much better than Elliot Ness we become, in First John 5.18, God's untouchable ones. The wicked one touches us not. He can't touch us with certain things that maybe years ago he could. He could have his way with us. Now, through right teaching and preaching through Christ, he has given us authority and power so that we in him, by him and through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, become God's touchable ones. So when you go home and I go home, we is the untouchable ones. Amen.